If you've struggled with anxiety, depression, disordered eating and drinking, or just a lack of purpose-driven joy in your life, this episode will explain exactly why your inability to function like a normal person may indeed be ADHD. And my guest today, Tracy Atsuka, the author of the best-selling book and top-rated podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women, is here to explain how to move from the perception that you have dysfunctional brain chemistry and a screwed-up personality so that you can harness the superpowers that come with having a neurodivergent brain. My name is Colleen Cashman. I'm a soberish recovery coach helping high achieving women get emotionally sober so that drinking less or not at all feels like a superpower. Join me each week for evidence-based holistic strategies to regulate your brain chemistry and nervous system and also develop a growth mindset so you can feel proud, confident, and resilient with or without a drink in your hand because it's not about the alcohol. If you're drinking 10 or more drinks per week and know that your life would be better if you drank less, maybe the problem isn't that you just really love to drink. Maybe the problem is that you feel stuck and unclear about what your purpose in life is because you've gotten so used to worrying about what other people think and you've forgotten how to think and feel for yourself. And you've gotten into the habit of using alcohol to relieve your stress, and you've lost a sense of connection with yourself, which means this isn't about the alcohol. And I can tell you that the only thing stopping you from drinking like a normal person is feeling like a normal person, someone who deserves better and is perfectly capable of doing better. Pause this episode and get in the show notes to register for my free training on my proprietary accelerated recovery process this Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. I will lay out the roadmap, timeline, and the tools that you're going to need to change your relationship with yourself so that you can pursue happiness and mental health instead of sobriety because happy people don't drink themselves into a stupor. And that's a good place to start with today's topic on ADHD for women. And to give you the backstory, I was diagnosed with ADHD in 2012, maybe. And I will be really honest about how I came by that diagnosis. I wanted Adderall. At that time in my life, I had cycled through almost every single psychiatric medication on the planet. I mean, if there's a commercial for it, I gave it at least three months. And I was used to thinking of myself as disordered, dysfunctional, less than, and I had doctors that were agreeing with me. I'd been diagnosed with everything from depression in my early 20s to clearly, obviously, I was high strung and anxious. I also had struggled with an eating disorder for years and had a 
addictive personality by self-proclamation. And also there was a lot of evidence for that. You know, there were times in my life where I was more and less honest about how much I drank because even though I was struggling with all these mental health issues, I still wanted to be healthy and happy and normal. And I felt like I was always doing whatever I could to get that way. And the truth is I just had a lot of bad information. The bottom line being that, you know, there's a drug that could fix me. And the basement uh, belief beneath that was that I needed to be fixed at all. That somehow what I felt that I wanted or needed, there was something wrong with me. I was too much, too big, too loud. And I was always trying to fit myself into the normal version of whoever I was around and trying to keep myself in the center of the bell curve. And because I had made a lifelong practice of silencing myself and of trying to fit in and to care more about what other people think and feel about anything, including me, than what I thought and felt, yeah, that produced a lot of suppressed emotion that then, of course, I required alcohol or some other drug to try to alter my brain chemistry because I felt like ultimately something was wrong with me. I didn't trust myself or my perceptions of the world because I didn't know that I could. So back to 2012, I think I had finally gotten back on some antidepressant because I thought it would help with the bitchiness situation in my marriage. And I, so I had been drug-free for a couple of years and then I got back on an antidepressant because it was either that or get a divorce. Uh, yeah, I ended up getting a divorce later that year. But in the meantime, so I was taking the antidepressant and a girlfriend of mine, her doctor, uh, diagnosed her with a raging case of ADHD, which she was the typical ADHD sort of persona. You know, when I think of ADHD, I think of a seventh grade boy who can't sit still and won't do his homework and, you know, just like a fart in a skillet. And for sure, I saw those normal, I'm using air quotes because there's no such thing as normal, but I saw those traits in her. And so I thought for sure she was that, but that wasn't me. Uh, I've never had trouble focusing in school. And as uh, Tracy Atsuka today, she explains actually why that is, why not everybody presents in the same way. But bottom line is she had a Percival Adderall and she started letting me use some and it changed everything for me. And at the time, I felt really guilty and bad about that. And I was scared to talk to my doctor about it. Given my history, I whether I was labeled like this or not, I felt like a drug seeker at that point. I just thought I was smart enough to go through the approved channels and insurance covered drugs but I was still searching for something that would alter my state of consciousness, alter my reality, something that would allow me to cope. And so I felt guilty that I wanted the Adderall because the Adderall in a period of a few short weeks was changing my level of confidence, my ability to focus. I wasn't sitting around navel gazing and I don't know, it just, it seemed to give me a little more control over my mind. And it, I can't say it gave me more 
energy because I was a pretty high energy person anyway. It was more like it gave me the ability to direct my focus. So I felt guilty about this, but I was like, you know, like, give me some of that. So I bought this book on uh, adult ADHD because I was going to go to the doctor and get whatever this was. And I thought I had to study for the exam. You know, what do I need to say here? And the more I read in the book, the less I felt like I needed to lie. Like the way they laid it out, I felt like I was reading about myself. Having gone through so many diagnoses for mental health issues and again, depression and and anxiety. And at one point, I think I was diagnosed as bipolar, you know, and anytime I didn't like the drug that they gave me, you know, I just kind of threw away the diagnosis like they were disposable you know, I didn't take any of that all that seriously, but I was looking for tools. And again, I really thought the tools came from the pharmacy and I just needed to get the right cocktail. And so I make the appointment with the doctor and sure enough, uh, I didn't have to lie. I showed her the book. I told her I'd been taking my friend's medication and she looked at my history and was like, yeah, for sure. I think you've been misdiagnosed. I think that, you know, the ADHD is what's going on. And so she prescribed the Adderall and I began a 10-year daily relationship with that that quite honestly, um, I have mixed feelings about now because I personally no longer wish to use medication But I also know that the medication was a bridge that allowed me to get where I am. You know, I didn't quit drinking for a long time. And in some ways, Adderall helped with the hangovers. I mean, I'm not going to lie. But I also can see when I look back all of the steps that I was taking to balance myself out, to take responsibility for being the cause of my life instead of living in the effect of my own brain chemistry. And yeah, you don't figure everything out overnight, right? So I was a little hesitant to bring today's guest on because I really think we need less labels in life. I was projecting my own history with ADHD and fear of being drug seeker. I was projecting that into this opinion that, you know, getting diagnosed with ADHD wouldn't help you. It would actually just hold you back because it would be a limitation that requires a medication to be fixed, right? So this was my attitude. And then I met Tracy Atsuka uh, at a conference we were both at out in California a couple months ago. And listening to her describe ADHD, I'm going to warn you, you're going to hope you have it by the time she's done. And no, you don't need to go to the doctor and get medication. Although if you're taking medications for anxiety, depression, bipolar, all of this sort of thing, like, yeah, maybe there's a bridge there and a different medication would help. You know, I'm to the phase of life where I feel like I've got the tools now without medication, but I ain't going to lie. Medication can be a bridge, right? Medication can be what it takes to to teach yourself how to learn how to focus and how to create the habits that, you know, allow you to live into your the best version of yourself. So after I talked with Tracy, I knew I had to have her on the show. And I encourage you, whether or not you've ever been diagnosed with ADHD or whether or not you suffer from other 
air quotes around mental health diagnoses. I encourage you to listen to this because it is the most hopeful, inspiring look at self-acceptance and working with what you got to get more of what you want that I've ever really been introduced to. And who cares if it's under the ADHD label, right? But if you have been suffering with ADHD or you're wondering if maybe that's an issue, this episode will provide you with a completely different perspective on how the brain works, why the brain works as it does, and how you can learn to use your brain to your advantage. Tracy is going to explain why ADHD is often misdiagnosed as it was for me for about 20 years as anxiety, depression, and other personality disorders, especially in women. She's going to explain why ADHD is not a disorder you need to recover from. Again, it's a tool, a superpower even. She's also going to give you a bit of a rubric so that you can identify yourself as neurodivergent um, instead of neurotypical without going to your doctor. Tracy distinguishes a very distinct difference between people who are motivated by things that are based on importance versus things that are based on interest. And I'll let her explain a little more about that. But the bottom line is you're going to walk away from this episode understanding that there is a bridge that you need to cross between figuring out what it is that you really want and who you really are and then actually having the tools and the focus and the intention to start living the life of your dreams. I know I walked away from this episode suddenly kind of interested once again, or maybe even proud of having an ADHD brain. And whether or not you see yourself in ADHD or not, this conversation is super insightful. And I thank Tracy for being here. So enjoy the episode. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so excited to introduce you to my audience. So I've been binge listening to your podcast, which is ADHD for smart ass women, right? Yeah. Which basically has my name all over it. And (laughs) I have learned so much and I'm excited to talk to you more, especially because I have ADHD. I've never really talked about that with my audience. I've got so many things that I have to talk about. That's never really come up. But I also have a lot of clients who are being diagnosed with ADHD in midlife, in their 50s and 60s. And it is such an interesting topic. And so I'm so excited to have your expertise on the show. Will you formally introduce yourself to my audience? I would love to. I'm delighted to be here. Every single time we do one of these, what ends up happening is there is someone out there, there's probably many people out there thinking this is not me, this doesn't pertain to my life or who I am or any of it. And by the middle of the podcast, usually their ears are peaked and they realize that, oh my gosh, this is me and this explains everything. And I just had no idea that this is the way ADHD looks like in women. So I'm delighted to be here to change some lives. So of course, my name is Tracy Otsuka. I have a podcast where around 6 million downloads at this point called ADHD for Smart Ass Women. I also have a 100,000 person Facebook group of the same name. I run a program called Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. It's a patented system. I have done everything from been, and here is my doggie. No, there's no more treats. I have been everything from an attorney 
to a high-end women's wear designer. 60% of our business was Saks, Neiman's, and Nordstrom. I represented probably two dozen banks when the market, the real estate market went to hell, selling their foreclosures and REOs. And somehow along the line, I ended up becoming an ADHD coach because my son was diagnosed with ADHD. And he was told, excuse me, we were told as his parents that we needed to reduce his expectations because he was far too ambitious and he would be disappointed in life. That was the third visit with the psychologist who was supposed to explain to us, what does ADHD, what is it? Because you know, my husband and I were like, doesn't that mean you're stupid? You're not destined for very much and you're just a mess, like you're all over the place. And so once we fired that psychologist, I started to study about ADHD because all the experts, it was just all doom and gloom. And eight months later, lo and behold, I discovered it took me eight months because the symptoms are so different in women than boys and men eight months to figure out that he got his ADHD from me. And it was truly life-changing. And so out of all of that has come this new book, ADHD for Smartass Women, that is coming out on December 26th that I'm so excited about. We just got from book, uh, we just were named from Book Riot, uh, one of their top self-help books, not just ADHD, top self-help books for 2024. So I'm just delighted oh. to be here. Congratulations. Yeah. Let's get into a little bit. I'd like to share, just for my audience's benefit, just a quick experience of how I came to the ADHD diagnosis. And that was because for about 10 years, I went through every single drug, I think, that they've ever made a commercial for, trying to fix anxiety, depression. I suffered with an eating disorder. I had, you know, for sure hyperactivities. Maybe they thought that was a little bipolar. I went mm -hmm. through all of these other diagnoses and potential diagnoses. And it was one doctor who said, you know, this might be ADD or ADHD at the time. And I didn't know what that was, but what I can tell you is that I, they switched me onto a stimulant. I went on to a low dose of Adderall. Yeah. It changed everything for me. I went from feeling anxious and insecure and whatever to being able to function and move about the world in a different way. And I didn't even do a lot of introspective. I just thought, oh, my new medication is working. I didn't understand the diagnosis at the time. But at that point, I was pharmaceutical management. Mm -hmm. Now I don't use the drug. Rarely. I still have some, but it, I really am into all natural and I've mm -hmm. come very far for, you know, I, I think there's a blend of what you're born with in terms of neuro atypical or neurotypical. Yeah. And then there's also lifestyle choices. And I've worked really hard to regulate my nervous system, mm -hmm. take control of my own focus, monitor myself for those hyperactivity episodes that I tend to have. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, what I've just shared with you and put it into a more professional perspective? <laughs> and the deal is what you just said is the medication 
is probably what started you on that route to realizing that, oh, I could have a different life, right? Because for you, it was able to calm your nervous system down. And I suspect this is what happens to women all the time. They're misdiagnosed with anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, all the personality disorders, right? Men typically get the, Mm -hmm. oh, you have PTSD. No, we have personality disorders. And lots of times what is underlying all of that is ADHD. So if I can back up a little bit and just explain to your audience in simple terms, what is ADHD? According to the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the most horrible name ever, but what they look for hyperactivity, you can't sit still, impulsivity, you think before you act, lack of focus or problems with focus. Now, I always look at it because that's kind of, okay, that's what the diagnostic, the DSM-5 says. What does it look like in the real world? First, unexplained underachievement. So you meet this person that you can just tell how intelligent they are. They're so interested, or what I should say is what they're so interested in, they just completely hyper-focus on and, you know, they're doing it 24-7 if they have figured out what that thing is. But the rest of their life is kind of like a mess. Like anything that might be the day-to-day living, right? So keeping your house clean, keeping your car clean, making sure the kids get up on time and get to school on time, you know, getting dinner on the table, like all these sexist things, right, that only women are supposed to be good at. But that's, you know, that's part of it. But it's those kinds of everyday type things that they really struggle with. It can also be that outwardly you look really successful to everybody else, but inside you just feel, oh my gosh, I'm not living to my full potential. I could do so much more. The second telltale sign is consistent inconsistency. So you do the big hard things or what everybody else thinks are the big hard things really well, but then again, you know, the other stuff, not so much, or it can look like, you know, in school you get this is my son, you get A's and D's in the same subject in the same week. So you never can quite rely on or depend on when your brain is going to show up and it's going to perform versus when it's just going to be asleep and say, oh, this is boring. And the third telltale sign is the, the normal productivity tips and tricks, they just don't work for you. Things like eat the frog, where you're supposed to go do the hardest thing first, you know, thing in the morning. No way, I can never do that. And the reason I can't do that is because the ADHD brain, they don't know, does it, make, does it mean we don't make enough dopamine or do we just process dopamine differently or irregularly? So when we don't make enough dopamine, we have problems with the focusing, with the sitting still, you know, because this is all our executive functions. So let me back up a second. So we are not making enough dopamine. This is affecting the prefrontal cortex of our brain, which is where all of our executive functions happen. So think of it as like the CEO or the executive of your brain. What does that mean? We struggle with time management. We struggle with planning, scheduling. You know, we struggle with motivation. Dopamine is really the motivation neurotransmitter. We struggle with decision-making, with organizing. We struggle with emotion, emotional regulation. So it's all of these things that are affected by this inconsistency in our dopamine. And for women, 
the symptoms look so different. And so for the longest time, we haven't been diagnosed. And instead, we've been misdiagnosed with all of these other things that I had mentioned. So women have twice the amount of inattention, inattentive type ADHD. There's three types, hyperactive impulsive, inattentive, and combined type. You have a little bit of the hyperactive impulsive, a little bit of the inattention. So the inattention looks like that girl in school who's sitting in the back of the classroom and she just doesn't have a clue what's going on because she is in her own head. She's daydreamy. She's, you know, kind of all over the place. In an adult woman, it can look a lot like the absent-minded professor. Again, that thing that she's really interested in, she's blowing it out of the park, but everything else around her is just kind of a walking disaster. We also, because of more of the inattention, we internalize our symptoms instead of externalizing them. Boys, when you think of classic ADHD, that 10-year-old boy, he's climbing the walls. He's, you know, a troublemaker. He's annoying to his parents, his teachers, his coaches, everyone around him. Girls, though, we don't do that. We tend to be, we internalize the symptoms, meaning we beat ourselves up inside our head about, well, why can't I do this? She can do this. Why, you know, why is my desk such a mess? Why, you know, is my house such a mess? Why can my friends do all this stuff with their kids and I can barely, you know, get them out of the house in the morning? And so because we internalize those symptoms over time, guess what happens? It does turn into anxiety and depression. Girls are also diagnosed later in life. Boys are typically seven to nine years old, and you see it, you know, from all the hyperactivity and they're, you know, again, climbing the walls versus girls are diagnosed later, typically in puberty. Because what- I was 40. (laughs) Okay. So I've got another one. I've got another one. No, I mean the symptoms show up. I didn't mean diagnosed. I mean the symptoms show up typically in puberty. And the reason that is, is they are only now starting to discover this because of course, like all medicine, girls were just ignored in all the studies. It was all the prepubescent boys, right? Pure prepubescent white boys. Hormones we've discovered or estrogen we've discovered regulates dopamine. So when our estrogen bounces around, goes up, goes down, our ADHD symptoms are affected. And so that's why you'll typically see it, the symptoms show up in puberty because all of a sudden, you know, estrogen starts bouncing around and it's our body trying to regulate, okay, now what do I do? So for me, I didn't have any symptoms. I could memorize anything. I was the lead not only in the English-speaking plays, but the German-speaking plays because my memory was so good. But literally, I still remember eighth grade, had to give a book report. I don't know what happened to my working memory, but it was gone. And, you know, it was because of puberty. So I've gone on and on. Is that what you wanted from me? Yeah. What I'd really be interested in hearing is okay, now we understand what it looks like, how it presents. Like I said, I was 40, you know, it brings some things into focus. And that is one of the the things when I, as a coach, I know you're a coach as well. When I work with somebody, especially with the addiction component, which maybe we'll pull that in, but where the insights are coming tend to be backward facing. They want to make sense of the past 
which I think is helpful and important. Mm -hmm. What I'm really interested in though, of course, as a coach is how do we take this information and move forward? What is this change in the future? How does knowing this allow you to choose different tools? So what's the bridge between self-diagnosis or professional diagnosis and what does it look like to live with it? Is it possible to recover? What does this look like if we face forward? So I personally don't think recovery is even on the table because I do not believe that ADHD is a disorder. I completely disagree with all of the medical professionals. So get this, Colleen, 43% of people with ADHD per a Canadian study that came out in 2022, February, March, I will say that I need to figure out the exact date, found that 43% of all people with ADHD are in excellent mental health. Not good mental health, not okay mental health, excellent mental health. So instead of focusing on all the pathology, all the things we do wrong, all the stuff we should be doing, what if we focused on what those 43% are doing and emulated that? right? So where I think, and what people need to know too, is there are brilliant people like, and I'm, I'm giving you celebrity type people because we all know them, you know, people like Greta Gerwig, like Simone Biles, like Lisa Ling, the reporter, they have ADHD and they believe that they are successful because of their ADHD, not in spite of it or despite it, right? So I just don't believe it's what I think is the problem is all of this stuff, schools, the way we go to work, you know, how we live, it's all a social construct, right? And so some of those social constructs work for 80% of the people like schools, but they don't work at all for 20% of the people. And if you have struggled in school, which not everybody with ADHD struggles, Some people, school is their area of interest and they excel. They are top of their class. And so again, this is especially for girls, right? I think that people think that you can't be successful and also have ADHD. Well, you tell that to the 43% who are in excellent mental health. And what I suspect, most of those are men, unfortunately, because of all kinds of, you know, just social Again, social constructs about how women are supposed to live, and that's why women really do struggle much more with ADHD than men. But if you look back at those 43%, I suspect that most of them are entrepreneurs. They are blazing their own trail. They are challenging the status quo. They are living in their mission or purpose because we are entirely mission-driven. We are not like neurotypicals who can just do a nine-to-five job and clock in and clock out and go home and be fine. And then at, I don't know, 65, right off into the sunset towards retirement. No. You ask someone with ADHD about retirement, they're like, no, there's too much to do. There's too much to learn. We are lifelong learners. So the truth of the matter is the way the school system teaches us it's wide. We have to know a little bit about everything, most of which we don't give a shit about. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Fuck yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's how most of us are versus when we figure out what it is that we're really interested in, what we're passionate about, we are able to move up. So let's say school 
at, you know, to a higher level, we have to do less of the like stupid requirements and more of what we really want to study. So when we get to the master's level, when we get to the PhD level, when we get to the doctorate level, we are typically at the top of our class. The problem is you can't get there if your grades sucked in, you know, undergrad or excuse me, in junior high school and high school really is the problem or even college. I mean, my poor son, he is a senior at NYU and he's in his last semester. He could not choose the classes he wanted to choose still. Like, how does that even happen? And the thing with Marcus is if he is required to take a class that he doesn't care about, he really struggles. If he loves the class, he's going to get the highest grade. And it's just how our brains work. So the one thing, because ADHD, so you meet one person with ADHD, you've met one person with ADHD. The reason it's so hard to diagnose is because it looks different in all of us. But let me tell you, the one thing we all have in common, we have an interest-based nervous system. What does the general population, the borings, I'll say, what do they have? Uh (laughs) They have an importance-based nervous system. And what that means is if your parent, your teacher, your coach, your partner, your friends think it's important for you to do something, you're like, okay, I can go do it. With an interest-based nervous system, it's not that we're being difficult. It's not that we are, you know, oppositional. Sometimes we are. It's not that we don't try hard enough. It's not that there's a character or a moral failing. It is neurobiology. Because of our issues with dopamine, we can't do it. I won't say we can't. We can, there are ways we can do it, but it's much harder for us to do those things we don't care about than it is for a neurotypical. Just knowing what I know about dopamine, so much of it is tied to narrative and to story. It's not just chemicals going off in your body predetermined, and I know how to work with the dopamine. So I find this fascinating that what triggers an ADHD brain is a value of something that is interesting. Mm -hmm. Whereas what I love, you say the borings or the normal is that might denote more of the value being social cohesion, you know, being part of the Mm -hmm. tribe, doing as they are told, you know, protecting that way. And that's not an insult to them because somebody's got to do that. We can't all be out here doing our own thing. But I also love what you're saying. It sounds like where we are seeing a problem in our society, it's okay, everybody's got to wear the same size of shoes. And anybody where these shoes don't fit, then there's something wrong with your feet. No, the size of the shoes, they don't fit. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly as women, we are so shamed for not fitting in, right? I mean, it's just somehow because you're born with a vagina, You're supposed to be the one. And it starts from when we're little girls in school. I mean, I remember, you know, it was so important for the girls to have perfect handwriting. The boys, they laughed. It was like, oh, he's going to be a doctor. The girl, you're supposed to be a doctor and you're supposed to be able to do all these things. And it just, you know, what can happen with ADHD is, let's say you're a brilliant student and you're coping just fine. In fact, you're more than coping. You're thriving. But then you get into, let's say you go to grad school, you get a doctorate. Okay, so you are now, no, let's say a lawyer, because I know that. You become a lawyer, you're practicing law, you're doing great, but you have even more responsibilities, so it's getting a little bit harder. Then you go and have a child, and the cart falls off the rails. 
and the cart falls off the rails, not just because you're having a child, but then you're pretty much solely responsible for that child because society says that's the mother's role. And if you don't have help at home, how are you supposed to do all of that? So you're managing and then everything just sort of falls apart and it starts to spiral. And so what I see in these incredible women who are so just successful and brilliant, they end up, because they can't do the home stuff as well as other women can, they start discounting where they are really successful. And all they keep thinking about is, oh my God, I suck as a mother. I suck as a wife. I can't keep a house. And who cares? That is not what you're good at. What you're good at is being a trial lawyer. You're great in court. So how about if you shore up, first of all, you get your partner to help you if there is a partner. Yeah. And if not, or and even if there is, you get some help because this shouldn't just be on you solely because, you know, you're born female. Yeah. So then what does it look like, literally sound like in your brain, thoughts in your head? You recognize, okay, I think this applies to me. Um, and it doesn't matter if it does or not for real. What are the tools moving forward? What are the action steps? Where can you expect to see a transformation and how do you get there from realizing and diagnosing this as a interest-based neuro situation with the dopamine as opposed to something's wrong with you? Like what's the tools? What's the through line? Where are we going? And this is the thing. Oh my gosh. You if you've been wondering all your life, what is wrong with you? If you've been on all this anxiety and depression medication, and I'm not saying that you might not have both. It is very common to have comorbid anxiety or depression. And to be honest, when I really think about it, I don't think I've ever met anyone who didn't have a little bit of anxiety with ADHD. And it makes sense. Again, from the time you're little, you're not doing things the way everybody else is doing them, right? And you're wondering, why can they do it this way and I can't? And unfortunately, society, if 80% of people can do it a certain way, they then think this is the right way and your way is the wrong way. And my premise is always, no, you have systems you have structure. You just don't realize you have that just yet okay. because it's been discounted. So you think it's not like it doesn't work. It's not effective, but it's what you've been using. So what I always say is, because people ask all the time, should I get diagnosed? Okay. You are always the expert on you. And unfortunately, when it comes to medicine, a lot of us have been led to believe that the doctor is God, right? And whatever mm -hmm. the doctor says goes. And I've been in that mm -hmm. situation where literally, I think I tried for two years, different ADHD medication. And I would listen to what everybody else said. I forgot how I felt. And all of a sudden, two years later, I'm realizing, oh my gosh, I don't even know what good feels like anymore. I've come so far adrift from it. And I think this is what happens with a lot of women when they're on anxiety and depression medication, right? Like you don't even remember what it feels like to feel good. That becomes your new normal. So the beauty of getting diagnosed is all of a sudden you have a reason. And so guess what happens? The beating in your head stops because it's not a character flaw. It's not a moral failing. No, it's just ADHD, which means you have a different brain that works using a different operating system. I always liken us to Macs in a Windows-driven world. And so you just have to learn the operating system. You need to learn the operating system for ADHD in general. What does it look like? 
But then again, it looks different for everybody. You know, it's tweaked just a little bit. So you need to figure out for you, what does it look like? And what are the systems that actually work for you? And so my premise is always, I created a patented program called Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. I am not a typical ADHD coach. I don't do the tips and tricks because there's so many other people who do that. And, you know, I'm oppositional and I always have to do the, you know, whatever the different thing than anybody else does. I'm an outsider. So what I created was a system so that you could figure out, number one, who are you in all of this? And then what are your, so who are you means what do you really value? Because people think they know what they value, but most of us have been taught what to value. And we've never, not in school, not, you know, just personally, most of us have not really sat down and done a deep dive on values. Wait a minute. Is that what you really value or was that what your mom valued or your dad valued or your church valued, your community, you know, so on and so forth. So we talk about that. We talk about your strengths. So we just... It's called Via Character Strengths. And there's actually a free survey that your audience can go there. Have you taken it, Colleen? Yeah, I use it in my program as well. It's amazing, right? Because Mm -hmm. you figure out, it's not, so your values can be sort of aspirational, right? You may not be living them. And so that's why you don't even know they're your values. Versus when I go into my program, sometimes people will say, that's so depressing because now I know who I am and what's really important to me, but how do I get there? What's the bridge? via character strength survey, because that shows you who you are now, how you move in the world. And so for me, humor is one of my top via character strengths. So what I know is if I can't weave humor into what I do, if I have to work with someone who's humorless, I can't even get out the door. I don't, and I, but now I understand that. So it's all about your figuring out what you value, figuring out what your strengths are, what are your talents, skills, what are the things you're passionate about? And then you tie it all up in this sweet spot of where is your purpose? And people think, oh my God, purpose, that's so big. It's so, you know, I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to choose her purpose instead of my purpose. And I won't know it and blah, blah, blah. But really purpose is just one of your passions with a side of service attached to it. And the reason why that's so important for ADHD women is again, because we are so mission driven. We need a cause. We're very justice sensitive. That's one of the symptoms or traits, I should say, of ADHD. We are the kind of people who will typically speak up, even if it doesn't serve us, on behalf of someone else because something is happening and it's not fair. So we can often get ourselves into trouble. So my first stand is always that sweet spot so you know exactly what's important to you and who you are. Because a lot of times with ADHD, women have been discounted so much that they pop into learned helplessness. I know you're familiar with that. And Mm -hmm. so it's, I can't, and this is what leads to drinking, Drinking. Totally. I was just going to say, yeah, pour me a drink. I can't do anything. Nope. I can't be me. I'm helpless. I'm just going to go do whatever he tells me to do or whatever she tells me to do. And I don't know a better prescription for unhappiness than that, right? Because you are not being you. You're basically masking yourself just to kind of, and that's why you drink, right? Because it's so painful to not be, especially if you have ADHD, to not be who you really are. I believe 
where ADHD women struggle is they've been shamed for so long that they try so hard to fit in. Guess what? We are never going to fit in. And the reason we are never going to fit in is because you are actually meant to stand out. ADHD women are meant to lead. And when we start to lead, and I know that sounds really scary, but when we start to lead, we build our confidence. We discover more, you know, around, oh my gosh, okay, yes, this is what I'm really passionate about. This is where my interests lie. This is who I am meant to serve. You need to serve yourself first. But once, you know, you've dealt with that, then it's really about, you know, our best purposes are those that give meaning to our past. It's kind of like what you do. Yeah. Those are the ones that are, those purposes are the ones that are most meaningful for us. So I always start with, okay, what are you meant to do with your life? And once you figure out what you're meant to do with your life, then every decision, because we struggle to make decisions and we struggle to make decisions because we have these brilliant brains. So they call it attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Such a stupid name. We don't have a deficit of attention. We have a surplus of attention. We are seeing everything all at the same time. But that is also what is responsible for our creativity. Now, mm -hmm. we also hyperfocus. And we can hyperfocus on all the good stuff or we can hyperfocus on the bad stuff. So a lot mm -hmm. of inattentive women, they're in their head all yeah. the time. And they're, what is it that you say, which is so brilliant? It's not about the drinking. It's about the thinking. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love that because you're doing all this thinking, right? And you are yeah. actually thinking that you are doing something on the problem, but all you're doing is right. thinking. And yeah. action is what actually gives you the information, right? That you know that, okay, I thought I should do that, but then I yeah. did it. And now I need to go in a completely different direction instead yeah. of spending years. And I think that a lot of times that's kind of what anxiety and depression medication does, right? It keeps us in that space and it keeps us small. I mean, I, and I am not dissing medication because absolutely there, there is a time and a place for it. But if you are seeing a therapist for 40 years and you've been on all of these medications for 40 years, my first yeah. response would be, let's deal with the trauma. Yeah. Because yeah. when women, so those, okay, the 43% and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to shut up the 43%, sorry, hyperactive and impulsive, the 43% who are in excellent mental health. So what about the other ones? I think the women that struggle the most with ADHD are the women who have had substantial trauma, big T trauma, but also a lot of little T trauma, which can be our school system, right? All those little cuts of you're a loser, you know, you're not smart, you can't do it, blah, blah, blah. Those all add up to one big T trauma. So trauma symptoms are identical pretty much to ADHD symptoms. So you've got the trauma symptoms of distractibility, inability to focus, hyperactivity, inattentiveness, right? And then you put ADHD symptoms on top of that. And then you can put perimenopausal symptoms or postpartum on top of it. They all mirror the same, you know, they're all the same. And you can see how someone with ADHD could really struggle and not be part of that 43%. Yeah. So it sounds like recognizing it, ADHD in action and start asking yourself different questions and to realize that leaning into your truth 
and your values and realizing that part of the problem with depression and anxiety is because there's a disconnect between your true values and your lived values. And if those things aren't aligned, it's like a Rubik's cube that's off its thing. You you can't move the parts and you get stuck. And the other thing I want to just kind of mirror with what you said with depression or anxiety medication, there's nothing wrong with using it, but it's the same thing as taking Tylenol for a headache without asking why you have the headache and addressing the upstream root cause. And, and it's the same thing with ADHD too. You know, when I first started taking the medication, I had a lot of good came out of it, but now rarely I still have it. I've learned how to use it with my experience and not take it dose by dose. This is a take my medicine, like a good girl. Like I use it very sparingly, but Mm -hmm. the bottom line is the more I line up my true values with my mission and my actions, like now get the fuck out of my way is what I have to say in the world. Which is such an ADHD comment. Thank you. I get cited a lot for bad language. That's true. And that's, it's kind of a litmus test. It's, you know, this is how I'm just going to roll. Like, I'm not going to do everybody else. I get yeah. some people will write me emails and like, your podcast would be so much better. Oh, I get those too. If you didn't use bad language. I'm like, for you, it would be. For me, it would be boring. <laughs> so I'm going to go with, you know, potty mouth. Always have had one. So. Yeah. And they'd listen to one episode because clearly if they listen to more than one episode, they would know that this would be the antithesis of how you choose to live, right? Small and so that everybody else likes you. Mm -hmm. I mean, and what I say is sometimes I would agree with you. I do use too much (laughs) bad language. Correct. That's true. But impulsive, it already left my mouth. Like I can't, there's no net to go get that word. Sorry. And I think, you know, a four letter word for impact is yeah. a good thing. Oh, please. For sure, you can put too much pepper on your salad. For sure, I can do too much, <laughs> but I do like it. Tell my listeners where to find you and how to connect with you because this is the most hopeful message I think I've ever brought to my audience that you have an interest-based dopamine system yeah. and versus a importance-based. And there's nothing wrong with your brain. You just have a superpower that you have yet to learn how to use. It truly can be your superpower or your downfall you pick. Like the actual way your brain works is neutral. How do you want it to, to go? Like that is, that's kind of everything, isn't it? <laughs> it all comes down to what do you want to do with it? And be proud of it right? Yeah. I mean, we are, I, I, I have literally, I've met thousands of ADHD women at this point. I have never met a one that wasn't brilliant at something. And I'm telling you the one that was living in her car, mm. you know, and it's almost, so we have this enormous reserves of empathy. We are, if we're hyperactive, we've got I have so much energy. I don't even need to sleep. Although I now do because I realize how important that is for my health. And, you know, we just, we're creative and we're fearless um, if we're using our ADHD properly. You know, I'm sure some of your listeners will think, I'm not fearless at all. You're not fearless because you haven't figured out what is it that you're really meant to do. Because once Mm -hmm. you figure that out, I don't care how old you are. We do things so quickly once we connect it all that it doesn't matter your age. It will happen. I have literally with my women see it happens so fast where literally six months later, I don't even recognize what they look like, let alone what they're now doing. And as you were saying about, it was you, right? You just were talking about the path forward versus backwards. 
Yeah. I love that. We cannot see what our path is forward if we look forward. And so you may look at all the things you've done and think, oh my God, I'm such a mess. I'm all over the place. But once you connect it all to purpose and values and what your real mission is to do, you're going to look back at all those things you've done and you're going to realize how they all connected and how they were so important to move you forward to really be that brilliant ADHD woman that you're meant to be. Yeah, because I look back at my own drinking, you know, and I've had eating disorders. Like I said, I've had so many problems. Every single one of those is my superpower now. I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't know what I know. I wouldn't be driven the way I am driven without those things. And, you know, it's, it breaks my heart. And also I step up to the challenge to help other women who are struggling and they just feel so broken and stuck. And I'm like, it doesn't matter where you're at. All that matters is the direction you're facing. If you're looking back, you're never going to get the story in context for where you're going, where you're like, oh, I had to go there to get here. And it's just amazing and beautiful when you free yourself. But it's you can be homeless and living in your car. But if you're looking, think of the where am I going to be a year? You get out of of it, right? Best best comeback story ever. I mean. You're going to win for the comeback story. We talk about that a lot in my program with the hero's journey and placing yourself what, where, like you're creative. Where are you in your journey? Where are you going to be a year? Where are you going to be five years from now? How is this situation going to change, you know, other people's life? How can you pay this forward? I loved what you mentioned about the ADHD. I think I forgot the first part, but the second part was that it's our mission is coupled with service. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such a common denominator. And I do think that's why so many of us turn to uh, self-defeating coping mechanisms like alcohol. I was trading my integrity, my desire, my drive for drink tickets. That was my compensation package for shutting the fuck up and sitting down. Yes, exactly. It was the only way you could do that. Yeah. And the thing is that your audience might not know is that addiction and ADHD And eating disorders, they are all part of the same thing. So there is a five to 10 times higher likelihood of substance use disorder and addiction. And that is, again, neurobiology. It's because of something called reward deficiency syndrome. Because, remember, our brains don't make enough dopamine. And so that affects our reward pathways. So what that means is we will feel less motivation to work towards a reward if we're not interested in it. And once we reach our goal, we get to the reward and we feel less satisfaction from receiving the reward. You know, that's our reward deficiency syndrome. And so that's exactly why we feel like we don't, we don't ever feel like we've done enough because we're just on to the next thing. And You know, in addiction, it looks like, oh, I'm going to have that glass of wine and that's going to make me feel so good and calm and peaceful. You have the glass of wine and then it's, wait, I don't feel like what I expected. Like I don't have the same level of satisfaction. So I'm going to have a second glass of wine. No, third glass of wine. And so that's how all of that happens, whether you're talking about disordered eating or, you know, any kinds of addiction, it's all part of that same brain. Yeah. 
Yeah. Dopamine deficit. I always refer to it as a dopamine deficit. It sounds like you've got reward deficiency syndrome, but yeah, it's a dopamine deficit and learning how to work with your brain and, you know, manage your dopamine is one of the skills and coping. It's just a skill you can learn. It's not like you're going to be low on dopamine. You just have to learn how to put gas in your car. You have to learn how to change your tires. You know, you got to work with your, the brain that you have. And I have learned how to do that, you know, cold shower, and pain first and, you know, dropping and doing some push-ups or doing the hard thing, telling the truth. It doesn't always go well, but I do it. You know, telling the truth. It's just amazing. Yeah. I feel like two ADHD women went into a conversation. I, I asked you how they reach you and here we are. So tell my listeners how to find you. One more thing. I have to say it. Okay. So yes, integral yes. to all of everything we do, positive emotion. If you are trying to muscle things and do them using negative emotion. It'll work maybe for a time, but it'll mess with your nervous system. ADHD women thrive in positive emotion and positively wither in negative emotion. So whatever you're trying to do, put yourself in positive emotion first, because that's how you're going to be successful, not by trying to muscle things and force them. Okay. Thank you. You know what? I would love, love, love if if they would just go buy my book at um, ADHDforsmartwomen.com forward slash book. That would be great. And you know, my podcast is the same name, ADHD for smart ass women. And we're on all the platforms. And it's an amazing podcast. I highly recommend it. I'm really enjoying digging into that with you. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. And I appreciate it. Thank you, Colleen. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Get into the show notes and get the link to get Tracy's book. It's no longer on pre-order. It was released December 26th, so it's available now. I've already ordered it. I'm waiting for my copy. And also in the show notes is a link to get on my insider's email list. You'll not only get one email a week from me with uh, the podcast drop. So you won't miss one. You'll stay up to date. Plus I usually provide a little extra insight or story or whatever is, has to do with this week's content. But I also, it's the only way you're going to get access to my in real time, um, events. Like mm, this month I've got a storytelling workshop coming up. I've got a breathwork class. I do regular master classes that I'm always updating the content and doing stuff, um, differently. Right now I'm covering, you know, recovering from alcohol use disorder, but sometimes I do emotional sobriety. And then other times I will weed into other mental health tools and tips and tricks. Most of my master classes are free. Uh, some of my workshops are very low cost. You do not have to be one of my clients. You can just pay a drop-in fee. So you'll want to get on my email list if you are interested in more of my content that is beyond this podcast. Plus, it's a great way to contact me directly. I always respond personally to every email. I love hearing from you. Um, I also do surveys and I ask, you know, what you're liking about the podcast, what you'd like to see more of, if you have any topic suggestions or questions or guest recommendations, like I am all in. So being on my email list is a great way to stay connected. And Another way, if you are not yet following me on social media, I am at Recover with Colleen. There's a Facebook page. There's also a private group on Facebook. So just search. Both of those will come up. Uh, you have to get permission. You, you know, you have to apply, if you will. It's free to get into the free Facebook group. 
Um, but you can follow the page and then also on Instagram at recover with Colleen. And then recently I'm splashing into TikTok. It's a lot of work. I don't like to spend a lot of time on social media, but I'm kind of having fun with the TikTok thing. We'll see. But my handle on TikTok is it's not, no. Yeah. At it's not about the alcohol. So same name as this podcast. So follow me over there. Connect with me there. DM me if you ever have any questions. And I appreciate listening. Happy 2024. And I'll see you next week.